fine. And for those of you that are visiting, hopefully you'll figure that out in the next hour or so. But uh, we've got a great church. A weekend like this, we always have guests from out of town. And if you are a guest from out of town, thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. We're going to have a great time together as we get into the Word. This is, of course, Memorial Day weekend. And before we move on, just want to uh, pause and reflect on that for just a second. Veterans Day, of course, is when we reflect on, remember, thank those who have served in any capacity in our armed forces. And uh, here at Coastline, we're very, very thankful for those who have served and are serving being close to Camp Pendleton and the other places we're nearby. Uh, A lot of active duty service members and veterans attend church here, and we're so thankful for them. But Memorial Day uh, is not for those who have served. It's for those who have served and in the course of serving have given their lives to really defend the freedoms that we enjoy. And um, uh, it's great for us, and I'm thankful that we have this weekend, this time, to stop and reflect on that. It's good even to have conversations with my kids. I I like this weekend because I can uh, have conversations with them about so many people that have gone before us and and, uh, really paid the ultimate sacrifice and the families that have been left behind and all of those things that we're familiar with. And uh, we're thankful for the country that we live in and those who have paid to keep it the way that it is. So enjoy your weekend. Um, I'm not not one of those guys who uh, gets upset at saying, hey, enjoy Memorial Day weekend. You should enjoy Memorial Day weekend because of the many, many, many men and women who have died for the freedom that you have to enjoy a weekend like this. But don't forget why you can enjoy it, all right? So uh, we'll take time to do that. Thank you so much for being here today. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to look at just two verses this morning as we begin. 1 Timothy chapter 1 beginning in verse number one. And really, this is the introduction of the first letter of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And as he's introducing it, some very important words here and some that I think can be an encouragement to us. Verse number one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. I want you to focus on that last phrase there. He says, which is our hope. Verse number two, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. One of the things that we're missing in much of our world today is hope. What we find in this verse, and we'll unpack this as we go along today, but we understand that there is hope to be had. There is hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hope in Christ provides courage for today and confidence for tomorrow, because it is grounded in the immutable, the unchangeable Word of God. And we're going to look at that this morning today, and my goal this morning is simple. My goal, my hope, my prayer is that you will leave encouraged, encouraged in the hope we have in our Savior. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. I praise you for what this weekend represents to us as Americans. We live in a wonderful country, and it is often confused and difficult to understand the things that are taking place in our country and our culture today. But Father, we do thank you for the heritage that we have that's been given to us, that's been paid for us by so many who have given of their lives so that we can have the freedoms that we have this weekend, so that we can have the freedoms that we have as Americans. Lord, so that we can congregate like this this morning and open your word and ask you to speak to us. We thank you for those who have gone on before us. And I pray, God, that reflecting on those who have gone before us, we would go forward confidently in the hope that we have in you. 
Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done and for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To say we live in a crazy world would be the understatement of the day. Yes, that's right. Good. Yes. Yes. It's a crazy world. And uh, it may be no crazier at any point in history than it is right now. I was talking to someone I had just met this week. I was traveling all of last week, and we started to talk about the election, not because I like to talk about the election, but that's all you can talk about right now. And I said, look, I don't care who wins. It's bad. It's bad. It's all bad. Our world is upside down, and it's hard to understand. And the best that we can hope for isn't that encouraging. We live in a world that is very, very difficult to understand. It seems that on every front, from financial and political to cultural and international, things are just upside down. Even as Christians, those of us who have faith, we try to be positive, but it is difficult not to become overwhelmed by the world that we live in. It's difficult at times not to even come to a place of what we might call depression. (laughs) Life is always hard. It's always difficult. As humans, we're wired to take some of the hits. But there comes a point when it's all just too overwhelming. In fact, we might even say life can become hopeless. You ever felt hopeless? You look at everything and you're just so confused by what's happening and you look forward and don't see a path that is clear to anything that would be meaningful. On Memorial Day weekend, I love to read the stories of men and women who have served our country and given so much in service to our country. I recently read a story that reminded me of just how hopeless things can become, and I think there's a parallel for us. The story is of a man by the name of Tom Moe. He's a retired Air Force colonel. If you haven't read his story, you haven't heard his story, you need to go find it. Tom Moe, Colonel, United States Air Force. He served during Vietnam, and on January 16, 1968, during one of his very first flights out of flight school, as a young second lieutenant, his plane crashed in the jungles of Vietnam. He ran for three days, but three days after he, his plane crashed, he was captured and would eventually find himself in a prisoner of war camp that we know as Hanoi Hilton. He was there for a total of five years. He was there during the period of time that uh, Senator John McCain was there, and he talks a little bit about that in his autobiography, and, and a very, very interesting story. He talks about the torture that he endured and the the interrogations and the long nights and the very difficult days. And he talked about all those things. But as he's telling the story of what he dealt with at the Hanoi Hilton, particularly in the early days, he said, I was in a good position as a prisoner because I didn't have anything to share. I was a young second lieutenant. I didn't have a lot of information and I had been prepared for this. He said, I had been prepared for the physical pain and I had been prepared for the torture and all of the difficulties that would come. I knew they would come. In his autobiography, though, he says this. I want to read this to you. He said, What I was not prepared for were the effects of solitary confinement. For the first nine months of my captivity, and sporadically later, I didn't see, hear, or talk to another American, although physical pain was inflicted on me deliberately and effectively. I would discover what an incredible burden mental pain would add to my suffering. How a dark fog slowly could creep over my consciousness, trying to rob me of my remaining power of reasoning. I saw that the mind could convince itself to slip away through the beckoning black hole that pain created. That's a very vivid word picture. I wonder, have you ever felt that way before? 
Now, I would not suggest that the lives that we live as Americans is in any way correlated to those who are prisoners of war in Vietnam. That's not what I'm saying. But I think in all of our lives, we can relate to this dark fog setting over us. We are prepared for the hits, we're prepared for some of the difficulties in life, but eventually it becomes too much for us to bear and we find ourselves almost on an island. We feel isolated, we feel alone, we feel as though we're in a blackness and we can see no way forward. Family situations can be very difficult. Often in the midst of difficult family situations, there is a sense of isolation and a sense of an overwhelming darkness. Work situations can be difficult. Cultural and society situations can be difficult. The fact that the Chargers are leaving San Diego can be difficult. Not as difficult. (laughs) Just thought I'd throw that in there. We lose hope. We lose hope when we take inventory of all that we can see and imagine and realize just how empty it all really is. Memorial Day I love, but I've noticed one thing on Memorial Day and this weekend, we look back fondly at a country that was once was, but for many of us, we look forward in fear. I feel that way in my life from time to time. And then I read a verse like 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. You have your notes this morning. That verse is on the front of your note, notes page. I'd encourage you to follow along. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 is one of those verses that you can't get around in the Bible. I've tried. <laughs> Ever read a verse in the Bible you want to get around, but you can't? The Apostle Peter, he said this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you, a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, this is an interesting verse for a lot of reasons. The Apostle Peter didn't say, hey, Christian, if you have hope, you need to be ready to explain that to people. What he said was, there is hope in you. You have hope, you hold it, and you need to be ready to explain it. Now, I find that interesting. Because we could say if you're an encouraging or encouraged person, if you're an upbeat person, a positive person, if you have hope, you need to explain to others why you have that hope. But that's not what Peter said. He said, hey, if you're a child of God, then you have hope and you need to be ready to explain that to others. I read that verse and then I examine my life and I realize that I don't always have hope. And I ask questions like, where does that hope come from? I'm thankful that the Bible not only tells us what, but tells us why and tells us how. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. As we start, just two questions for you. Number one, do you have hope? Do you have hope? Do you have hope when things are hopeless? G.K. Chesterton said this, he said, hope means hoping when things are hopeless, (laughs) or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be strength. Do you this morning have hope? Are you a person of hope? If not, we're going to talk about how you can find that hope. If you are, the second question would be why? If you are a person of hope, then I ask the question why? You see, biblical hope is not a self-help technique. 
whereby you move forward with sheer willpower and imagination. The word used in the verses that we'll consider today, it means confidence. The Greek word literally means to anticipate with pleasure and expectation. Do you have that kind of hope in your life today? When you turn on the news, when you look at your bank account, when you consider your own family situations, do you have that kind of hope today? kind of hope that says, I am eager, I am anticipating, I'm looking forward with pleasure and confidence. The psalmist had this kind of hope, Psalm 16 and verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth, my flesh flesh also shall rest in hope. Psalm 31 and verse 24, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Psalm 42 and verse 5, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Psalm 119, 114, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. This morning we can have hope. But it must be a hope that is grounded, that is rooted, that is firmly entrenched in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We come this morning to these two verses, and I love these verses. Understand, and I'm sure that you do, that every word in Scripture is important, every single word. We can come to introductions of books like verse 1 and verse 2 and say, well, this was simply an introductory statement and it doesn't really mean that much. I've, I've listened to these verses read and I've certainly read them and I've, I've read commentaries about them. And as I've looked at them, often these verses are simply relegated to the introduction of Paul to Timothy as we get into the rest of the chapter. But these verses are so important. Timothy was a young man at the time. He was a pastor in the church of Ephesus. Ephesus at this time in history uh, was a very, very difficult place for a Christian to live. The practices of worship there were absolutely pagan. As difficult as things may be in America, they were much worse in Ephesus. The moral degradation, the difficulty to have any kind of a standard at all in Ephesus would have been overwhelming to this pastor. And Paul is writing to him, and Paul is beginning to explain some things to him. He's writing to a man who's in a difficult culture at a difficult time. He goes on to explain some of the people that Timothy had in his church. Read chapter 1. It's a fun chapter to read. (laughs) These are some messed up people. In fact, the chapter ends, the last verse of chapter 1, mentions two guys in particular that would have been known by both Timothy and Paul. And Paul says, I've given them over to Satan. How do you like that? That's not what you want your pastor to say about you. (laughs) He said, there's some guys around here. I've given them over to Satan. Timothy is ministering at a difficult time in history, at a difficult place geographically with very, very difficult people. In fact, if you read the context of chapter 1, it sounds like Timothy was getting ready to leave his church because it was so hard. Chapter 3 and down, or verse number 3 and down through the rest of the chapter, Paul says, hey, Timothy, I once beseeched you, I begged you to stay in Ephesus and to teach and to preach and to straighten these things out, and I'm encouraging you to do that again. This was a hard, hard time to be a pastor, to be a minister, to be a child of God. What's interesting about verses number 1 and 2 to me is that before he gets into all of that, he talks about hope. 
He says, my name is Paul, you know me. (laughs) I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. By the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. How interesting that before he talks about all the things he'll need to deal with in 1 Timothy and then the second letter to Timothy and 2 Timothy and through many of his other writings, how, how interesting as he talks to a young man who traveled with him and saw him do amazing things. In all of that, he starts off by saying, Timothy, you can have hope. I know it's hard. I know it doesn't look good. I know the people around you are difficult to deal with. Maybe your family situation is a little bit off and the people that you would hope would encourage you aren't. But Timothy, there is hope. If you're looking for it in the right place. Let's work through our outline together this morning. The first thing that Paul talks about in this short introduction is the source of our hope the source of our hope. We look for hope in so many different places. I would imagine this is the reason that we don't always have the kind of hope that we would like to have. (laughs) We look for hope in relationships. People who are struggling in their lives may look to a relationship or a, a part of that relationship, a husband, a wife, a child, some extended member of the family, and say, that's where I, I place my hope. And then they let them down and that hope goes away. We put our hope in our finances and we work and we we scrape and we try to build something that will sustain us and then that goes away. Or it's not enough. It's not what we thought it would be. Our hope has been put in a job. Our hope has been put in what we can gain for ourselves and it just doesn't work out the way that we thought it would. We put our hope in titles the importance that others place on us. We put our hope in our government. We put our hope in politicians. We put our hope in so many things that will eventually let us down. And as Paul begins this letter to Timothy, he says, hey, Timothy, there is a hope, but it is found in God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Where are you looking this morning for hope? If you would go to Peter and say, Peter, I don't have the hope that you said I should have. I can't explain it because I don't have it. Then perhaps you're looking in the wrong place. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, I wonder, what are you putting your hope in? Where is your hope placed? Where is your confidence If you're a believer this morning, you're a Christian, what are you looking at for hope? You see hope in God and hope in our relationship with Christ. It can bring courage in this life and it can bring confidence for the next because it is grounded in something that is unchangeable, that is immutable. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, don't forget, as hard as things are, as difficult as they can be, our hope is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What a wonderful verse. 
That verse tells us that Jesus, our Savior, the Jesus Christ here in verse number one of 1 Timothy, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is not only the one who gives us a reason to hope, but he is the one who takes us all the way through that and brings us to the place of fulfillment. He not only gives us the reason to move forward and the reason to have confidence and the reason to have courage, but he will also sustain us through those things. Where is your hope found? To whom are you looking for hope? If you're looking at your spouse for hope, you're looking in the wrong place. You probably know that. (laughs) If you're looking at your job, it could go away. If you're looking at our country that is upside down, uh, the, the reality of history is that it will probably get better or worse and not better. And if your hope is in those things, you will be sorely disappointed. And the fog will set in, leading to a place of hopelessness. But as we look to our Savior, the author and finisher of our faith, there is hope. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, this is a lengthy passage, but in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul also writing says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Very important verse. By whom also we have access by faith into His grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Those verses tell us one very simple truth. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, as He died bearing our sin, He was placed in a tomb. He rose again three days later with power. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us, there is hope beyond simply today. He goes on in verse number three, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. See, tribulations, difficulties, trials, that's a part of life, but we can have hope in the midst of that if it's grounded, if it's rooted, if it's focused on our Savior. You see, the second thing, though, that's very important here, not only the source of our hope, but the demonstration of our hope. The demonstration of our hope. This is is great. Paul, he uses important words. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, that is a theologically rich statement. He said, God our Savior. Now, if I were to go around the room and say, who is our Savior? Most of you would say Jesus Christ. Most of you would not say God. Now, we understand in large theological terms that Jesus is God, that as he was on this earth, he was God in the flesh, all God and all man. As he hung on the cross, he hung there as God. As he bore our sins upon himself, he did it as God. As he was placed in the tomb, he was placed there as God. And he rose again three days later because he is God. But here in this verse, the Apostle Paul, he ties this together. He said, God who is our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. What is he saying here? He's saying your hope, the source of your hope, the focus of your hope is someone that you know well. It's someone that you've heard about and someone that you understand. It's not this ethereal thing out there. It is someone who has done something very important. The demonstration of our hope. I find this fascinating. I wonder in your life, how many people have told you that they are going to take care of you and let you down? When I was dating my wife, I met my wife when I was 18 years old. And um, if you ever want to find someone who has a lot of hope, look to an 18-year-old guy. Lots of hope. I mean, it's going to be awesome, right? Everything in life is going to be awesome. 
And, and I didn't know, um, I, I consider myself a very romantic person, but I didn't know then exactly how to relate to really anyone. And so I did my best. And, and, and what I kept telling my wife was, I can take care of you. I can take care of you. And, and I don't know, she was young too, and she's gotten smarter over the years. She wouldn't fall for that now. But she believed for some reason that I could take care of her. So what I did to demonstrate how much I would take care of her is I asked her to marry me. I was still in college and so was she. And I didn't have a job, but it was going to be okay. We have a little book. And in the book, we worked out our finances before we got married. And, and there was a pretty good deficit at the bottom. And I just wrote in parentheses, God will take care of it. <laughs> yes. I said, I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be awesome. So we got married and we had one year of college left. We lived in California, but went to college in Florida. So we took the money that we got for our wedding and we invested in renting a U-Haul trailer and attached it to the back of my Buick Century and drove across the country. And I didn't have a place to live either. I had kind of talked to a guy about possibly renting his Mobile home would be a very loose word. It was more of a trailer. It had a hole in the floor. But he was going to let me rent it. And I didn't have a job, but it was going to work out. I knew it was going to work out. And I was taking care of my wife. And so we moved into this place. And when we got there um, in Pensacola, he wasn't home. But I thought, we kind of talked about me renting it. So the back door was unlocked. So I figured if I move our stuff in, he can't kick us out. <laughs> so he came home three days later. He said, I see you've moved into the trailer. Would you like to start paying for it? And I said, sure, I don't have a job, but we'll figure something out. We had roaches, lots of them. They call them palmetto beetles in Florida. Apparently, they had lived in the trailer a lot longer than humans had lived in the trailer, and they didn't know that it was being given up to us, so we had to deal with that. And we also had fleas. I don't know where those came from because we didn't have a pet, but I was just taking care of my wife, taking care of her. Still didn't have a job, so I, I worked at a phone bank. I just made phone calls. I don't know, whatever, I got paid. One night in the middle of the night, we had a rat that came up through the floor. I had to beat it to death. Just taking care of that woman, taking care of her. It's been pretty much a honeymoon since then. It's been a lot like that. There are a lot of people in our lives that will tell us that they want to take care of us and perhaps their intentions are good, but unless someone has demonstrated an ability to take care of you, they're really empty words. Maybe an employer has hired you, and in the hiring process, he said, hey, I'm going to take care of you. We've got this program and that program, and we can take care of you. But as things get difficult, it's clear that he's not going to take care of you. People will tell you one thing, but unless they demonstrate it, it's something else. The Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he says, hey, Timothy, we have hope but it's not empty. These aren't vain words. He says our hope is found in Jesus Christ who demonstrated his ability to provide hope. We see that in three ways. First of all, his love. His love. It is the love of God that caused Jesus Christ to leave heaven, to come down to earth, to live a perfect and sinless life, and to die on the cross in our place. There was nothing to be gained for him other than a relationship with a broken creation. He did it because he loves us. Romans, again, chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God commendeth, he demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does that verse mean? It means that even though we, as humanity, were in open rebellion to God, the God who created us, the God who gave us everything, even though He is the Creator, we stood there with our fists up in the air yelling, crucify Him, and because of His love, He died on the cross for you and for me. 
You see, this hope that we find in our Savior, Jesus Christ, is not an empty phrase or empty words or a hope so. It's a confidence because of the demonstration found in His love, Ephesians 5 and verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savior, savor. He says, walk in love as Christ hath loved us. He loves us. And we can have hope. You say, why should I put my faith, my hope, my confidence in Jesus Christ? Because He loves you. And He'll continue to love you because He didn't love you simply because you were lovable. <laughs> he loved you because He's God. The love of God for you is not based on you. The love of God for you is based on Him. We can put our confidence and our hope in Him. I'll tell you this, when I got married, I loved my wife. <laughs> I really did. I was dumb, but I loved her. It's one thing to love, but it doesn't always mean you have the authority to do what you want to do. Embedded in the phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, is the fact that He not only loves us, but that He has the authority to love and take care of us. He has the authority to provide hope. You see, not only does He desire to provide hope, but He has the authority to provide hope because He is God. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, a very interesting couple of verses here. But the Bible tells us that God gave all authority to His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus not only loves you, but He has the authority to provide hope. We look to our source of hope, that is Jesus. And we ask, why should I put my confidence in Him? Life is difficult. It's confusing. It's upside down. I don't know which way is forward and which way is back. Why should I put my confidence in God? Because He loves you and He has the authority to provide hope too you. I said to my wife, we're going to have a great place to live when we get to Florida. <laughs> I was sincere. I just had no authority. I hadn't even written my first rent check yet. It took me a while to write that first rent check. I didn't have a job. <laughs> I said things that I meant, but I had no authority. Such is not the case with our Savior. He not only loves us, but He has the authority to do what He said He will do. Colossians 1 and verse 16, For by Him, that is Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And by Him all things consist. It's all His. So when we're told that we can have confidence in Him, we understand that He has the authority to provide hope. But the third part of this demonstration is so important. You see, not only does He love us, and not only does He have authority, but He has power. He has power. It's one thing to have a desire to do something. It's even another thing to have the authority to do that. There are many people, you know these people in your lives, who have the authority to do something, but don't actually have the power to do it. 
people who say they'd like to do something for you, and they have the authority, but they don't have the ability, the means, or the power to do that. What we find wrapped up in this phrase that God is our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ is that He not only loves us, He's demonstrated that by His death, but He has the authority to do what He said He would do. We find that throughout Scripture, but He also has the power to follow through. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power in heaven and in earth. There is not a place that you can go, a situation in which you can find yourself that the power of God does not exist. The question is not, does he have love? Because he does. The question is not, does he have the authority? Because he certainly does. The question is not, does he have the power to follow through? Because he does. The question is, where are you looking for hope in your life? The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, hey, Timothy, I'm going to speak some hard truth to you here in just a second. We're going to talk about very difficult people in a very difficult region of the world. Religious practices that were vulgar in Ephesus. Timothy, I know you want to leave, but you must understand you can have hope. We look third this morning to the result of our hope. This is kind of the so what, right? So what? Those are all good thoughts and happy platitudes, but so what? So much of this is a proper perspective. Once our perspective is right, things begin to change. When we realize that we are not the source of our hope and that our family members are not the source of our hope and that the government is not the source of our hope, everything begins to change. When we look to the appropriate person for our hope, we begin to realize that what we deserve and what we do aren't going to garner hope for us because God has already provided it. Look at verse number two. He says, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Three things he mentions. If you look at the introductions of the Apostle Paul in his letters throughout the New Testament, he often mentions grace and mercy. Rarely does he mention peace, but in this verse, he mentions all three. Imagine the turmoil that Timothy was under. He needed peace. But Paul knew also that in place of peace, he also needed grace and mercy. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible tells us to come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you in a time of need? Are you in a hopeless place in your life? The Bible tells us that we can come to the God of all mercy and receive grace and mercy. Grace is that unmerited favor. It is that thing which we do not deserve. It is the gift of God. It's what allows us to have a relationship with Him. It's what allows us to go forward when things are difficult. It's entirely of God. Mercy is being, uh, having withheld from us what we do deserve. 
We like to fight for our rights and talk about the things that we deserve, but honestly, if we got what we deserved, I don't think we'd be very happy. We don't want what we deserve. We want what we do not deserve, that is grace. We want God to withhold from us what we do deserve, that is mercy. And when grace and mercy collide, there is peace. Peace is not dependent upon your situation or circumstance, not dependent upon the place that you live or the job that you have or the family situation that you find yourself in. Peace comes as God produces it. You cannot deserve grace, you cannot require mercy, and you cannot produce peace. All three come from God. We know that peace comes from the Holy Spirit. We find that in Galatians chapter 5. Grace and mercy are entirely of God. And when we begin to look in the right place for hope, it elevates our current situation beyond what we can simply see and imagine to something well beyond what we could put in our hands. Colonel Tom Moe, he talked about the difficulty he had at the Hanoi Hilton. In his autobiography, he talks about a moment where things changed for him. He had just been beaten severely for a period of days. He was laying on a floor in a cell by himself, and he said this, an enamel plate skittered across the floor and halted just short of my slowly blinking eyes. On it was a mound of raw salt crystals piled on top of some rice. The salt is for beriberi, the voice said, and the door banged shut. I thought for a moment, does he mean the salt will give me beriberi or prevent it? <laughs> said I chuckled to myself. My feeble attempt at humor was an elixir. Even though I would spend several more years as a guest of Uncle Ho, I knew I was over the hump. Humor, faith, and mental focus would allow me to endure. He says when his faith was challenged, he went through a cycle of anger and pity and finally strength. He came to the point where he was able to move beyond his current situation. He could again pray for his wife at home and his little girl who had been born shortly before he went to Vietnam. His focus changed, everything in his world changed, and for the first time he had hope. He said that's when he knew it was going to be okay. Folks, I don't know what you're dealing with today. I have no idea. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're feeling. I can't know any of that. But I'm here to tell you today that we have a God who loves us, a Savior who died for us, who not only demonstrated His love while we were yet sinners, but He has the authority to do what He said He would do because He's God, and He demonstrated through His glorious resurrection that He also has the power. Where are you looking for hope today? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul makes a statement. He says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. He ends that same chapter with these words, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do you have hope this morning? Then why 
And if your answer is because I'm focused not on my situation, not on my circumstances, not on my life, not on the difficulties that I endure, but on a God who loves me, a Christ who saved me, and the one who has the power to do what he said, then you can walk out and live a victorious life. Father, we thank you for this time today. We thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you have the authority to do what you said you would do and that you demonstrated that you also have the power. God, we live in a very difficult, very even hopeless world. But as Christians, we have been commended to not only have hope, but be able to explain to others why we have hope. God, I pray for the Christians that are here this morning, that they'd leave this place full of hope, confidence in you. That doesn't mean life will be easy. It doesn't mean the difficulties will go away. It just means that we are elevated as we focus on you beyond our current life situation. Courage for today and confidence for tomorrow. Father, if there's a person here this morning who's never put their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day that they finally put their faith, their hope, and their confidence in you because you love them. You died on the cross for their sin just as you died for mine. And you rose again, conquering the power of both sin and death. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for the truth of your word. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning and no one looking around, we'll be done in just a minute. I wonder, maybe you're here this morning and you say, I'm overwhelmed with life. But beyond that, I've never put my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. The biggest need you have in your life is a restored relationship with God. The Bible tells us that because of sin, there's a penalty, there's a price that we must pay, and that price is separation from God forever. That is a hopeless eternity. But God demonstrated His love to you and to me that He paid the price for that sin, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can have hope. If you've never put your faith in Christ, then today should be the day that you accept Christ as your Savior, acknowledging that He is the source of hope. He is the place in which you put your confidence for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. Maybe you're here this morning. In the privacy of this moment, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. By the testimony of an upraised hand, you'd say, Jeremy, I I don't know that I've ever accepted Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me? If you're here this morning, you've never put your faith in Christ, would you just slip your hand up into the air so that I can see it, so I can be in prayer for you? I, I won't point you out. I won't call you out. I just want to be in prayer for you this morning. Thank you. You may put them down. Perhaps you're here this morning. You say, I've been hopeless in my life. I'm a believer. I know that I'm in Christ but I want my focus, my perspective to be renewed. Pray for me that I'd live a hope-filled life. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up this morning? Pray for me that I'd live a hope-filled life. I'm often hopeless. I need to have the hope that a relationship with Christ does provide. I need confidence in Him. Thank you. You may put them down. Father, again, as we 
close this morning. We thank you for who you are. I pray for those that have put their faith in you, uh, that, have, that have acknowledged this morning that they need to put their faith in you, that they would do that. God, that they would not leave this place this morning without accepting you as their Savior. God, for those that raise their hand and acknowledge, I need to readdress, refocus, put my confidence in my Savior. I pray that that would happen. Thank you for the hope that we can have. I pray that we'd leave encouraged today in Jesus' name.